Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. So good morning. If I've never had the chance to meet you, my name's Kevin. My wife and I, Robbie, are the campus pastors in Searcy. And uh, I got a picture to show you. This is going to be my daughter. She's 17. And uh, we're so proud of her. Robbie said, don't dare show them a picture of me. But So she let me show them a picture of Riley. But Riley is um, ready to go to college. She's about to start her senior year. And so you guys pray for me, man. It's been um, hard to go look at colleges and think about your baby girl uh, leaving. And uh, she did a a two-week course uh, a couple of weeks ago at Harding, which is in our city. And uh, they made them live on campus. She was like five minutes away, and I cried every night. So it's, I, don't, I don't think I'm going to pull it, pull it out. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to make it. Um, but uh, again, so, so good to be with you guys. Honored to be here. And uh, this team is, is so, so great. They minister uh, to me all of the time just with, through friendship. And uh, I'm just so, so grateful to be here this morning. I want you to go this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I'm going to be speaking from the life of David. And before I hop into that, this week, just in in preparation for this, I had just a personal observation. It's not really a a theological observation, but just a personal thought. And it, it, it it was this. I've thought about my life just growing up in church, being a believer since I was a child, and my parents' involvement in church. They weren't pastors, but they were heavily involved. So we, we were always up there. We were always setting up before we knew what serve teams were. We, we, that was our family. We were the serve team. And so we would come up, set up chairs, and clean things up, and put envelopes in the seats, and make sure the church looked good for Sunday. We power washed the buses, and we did all, all those things. It was just, it was fun to me. The church was always an adventure, and I always loved being part of it. But I've noticed through the years of just being in church, and so through my own church history and looking at, at people I went to church with, it seems that as believers, like we're really, really fascinated um, with events and destinations. And what I mean by that is we love talking about big ticket items. We, it's, it's always fun to teach and be a part of conversations that are about killing giants or bodies of water parting and people walking over or an ark being built to save humanity or the resurrection of a savior. I mean, these things are so great and grand and they're theological and, and so we should love, love them, but um, we're so attracted to them. And then on destinations, you know, we've, we've talked so much about, about heaven and where, where we're going and and those conversations tend to lead to, you know, one of these days and our faith and our hope is out there in it. So we've just got this fascination with these events and observations, but I find it rare that we gravitate toward personal process. You know, in, in the churches I, I grew up in, we called this sanctification, right? This process ongoing of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And so we love sentences like, take up your bed and walk, 
but we kind of, you know, gasp when, when we hear, take up your cross and follow me. So we, we love to talk out the event, but we are somewhat restricted to engage the process. And so the text that I'm going to talk about this morning is a process. And this is a great story, and I, I love it so much because it reveals a lot about our humanity, but it also reveals that there is this sliver of time between a thought that we can have and an action that we walk out. Very, very short time span. But in that time span, the Holy Spirit does some of his best work. He's able to get down in between what we think is right and what is actually right, and he can either reinforce or pause us from moving on into the action stage. And so that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Let me give you just a little bit of context here. David is in a bad spot. David is on the run for his life. It's been an awful season between he and Saul. At this point, Saul has tried to kill him nine different times. And Saul is his father-in-law. So if you think you've got a bad family, you should engage this story this morning. So he's tried to kill him nine different times. And David thinks to himself, if I'm going to fulfill what my life's purpose is, I'm going to have to get out of here for a while. I got to let things cool down. I got to let him cool off. And so he lives abroad. He starts sleeping in, in pastures and asking people for help and his reputation is so strong that he starts to gather somewhat of a ragtag army of other men who cannot go home, other people who are on the run, other people who are outlaws, so to speak. And so all these people are together, they're forming friendship, they're telling their stories, loyalty comes among them, and so they start moving place to place on the run from Saul. Now Saul gets word that David is at a place called En Gedi. And so Saul commands 3,000 men to go with him to get David. I think it's kind of overcompensating. But Saul is basically like, hey, we know where he is. Let's get there. Let's hem him in. Let's end this. This is ridiculous that it's taken this long. Today is the day we are going to go get him, find him, and end this thing. So, in 1 Samuel 24 and 3, this is what it says. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself, and David and his men were far back in that cave. Now, those words, relieve himself, are exactly what they seem to be. And the comedian in me wants to park here for a minute. But the pastor in me says, keep on moving. So I'm going to. <laughs> so David and his men are in this cave hiding from 3,000 soldiers who were sent from the guy who is now in their cave and he is distracted. So they are all in this cave. Saul barely steps in. David's pupils have dilated. But Saul walks right in from outside of, of being outside in, in the sun. He can't see a thing. And when David and his men 
realize who is there, not a breath is breathed. I like to think that they press their backs firmly against the wall of that cave. They can see him. They know what's going on. I like to think that they're holding on to sword and dagger and chest plate, anything that could clink or clank and reveal their position. They want to be as quiet as they possibly can. And David gets presented with what he feels and believes is an opportunity of a lifetime. And his men confirm this. In verse 4, the men said, David, this is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand for you to deal with as you wish. It's very strong. Some of you wish that the Lord would speak this over you so you can deal with some of those people in your own life. David's men are saying, David, this is the day we've all been thinking about. It's the day that we've all been praying for. And I want to play this out for just a second. It could be that David, with little effort, runs a sword through a distracted king. No more running, no more fear. David could go home. All these men could go see their families, play with their children, eat good food, sleep in their own beds. Saul's army is outside. They see Saul go in, but suddenly David comes out dragging Saul's dead body and he would immediately become the anointed king that he already is. He would march back into Jerusalem. No civil war, thousands of lives spared. The wait is over. This has to be God. Or is it? And I want to park there for just a second because it makes me wonder about all the opportunity that I've had in my own life where I wanted to seize something, where I wanted to get ahead, where I wanted to make it right on my own terms. So I made a move. And I went crawling across the floor of my own cave systems to reach out toward someone who had done me wrong or talked about me or misled me or used us or lied about us or hurt our feelings. That there was an option somewhere out in my life that if I would just take that one step, it would change the entire trajectory of who I am of where I'm headed, of what I want to happen. So because I'm a a believer, I start to say, if I feel this way about it, this has to be God. So I try to drag or lasso God into the things of my life to say, hey, over here, you're not going to believe this opportunity I have. It's an opportunity to get ahead and I've been praying and I've been giving and I've been serving. I've been believed this has to be the opportunity that you've given me. But David has a hesitation. David has a check in his gut. And this is the first thing I want to challenge us with this morning is to pay attention to that hesitancy. 
that when you're making a move, when you're leading something, when you've got a marriage you're working on, when you're parenting, when you've got an opportunity to sit down and with your mouth run a knife through your enemy, through gossip, we get a hesitancy, a check in our, our, our gut. So when you have an option of any kind, when you have an invitation, when you have a possibility, listen to the hesitancy that is within you. If your conscience gets a notification, if there's a red flag in your feelings, pay attention to that because every bad habit has a first time. And every toxic pattern has a first line. And every destructive journey has a first step. And there's one thing I know about those first is that they snowball quickly. Easy to start, almost impossible to stop. And so the Bible says that while David is crawling toward him, he's thinking about it, he sees the opportunity, he knows this will end it. His men have said, this is it, this is the moment. He gets down on his hands and his knees, maybe even like his stomach, and he starts to writhe towards Saul. And this is that moment that I'm talking about. He is sure this has to be God. But while he is crawling, the Bible says, unnoticed, unchecked. The enemy doesn't even see him coming. And so he's going towards Saul, and this tension in him starts to grow stronger and stronger with every pull from his arms and push from his knees. And suddenly, watch this, David becomes more aware of the hesitancy that he feels than he is of the opportunity that is to be seized. He feels such a hesitancy that he forgets this is even an opportunity, that it's even an option. He is eat up with what the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to him. This is the space I'm talking about. This is the space where the Holy Spirit is surgical. He can slip right into the, to the smallest of cracks in our thought life. And I love how he does it because while he is crawling and David is saying, now is the time, now is this moment, the Holy Spirit gets on the ground with him. I don't think you should do this. Not now. This is not the moment. This isn't it. Don't do this. You can't undo this. You can't back out of this. So let me get, I'm, man, I started thinking about all those times in my life that I was thankful when the Holy Spirit crawled on the floor with me in caves and said, don't you do it. Don't, don't, don't ruin yourself. Don't try to, to, to crowbar this door open. You're not going to want to see what's on the other side of this if you do it. And I think this is what David heard in his heart. I think he heard, listen, Saul is part of your growth process. Do not shortcut this. I think what God was trying to do with Saul was to show David what not to do. He was saying, do you see 
how this king acts? Do you see what happens when you have all the power to wield and you use it inappropriately? Do you see what it's like to be king and disrespect spiritual authority all around you? Do you see what it's like to be a king and just be angry for silly reasons? David, Saul is your classroom because I'm about to cloak you in what he has. And so if you shortcut this, you are going to get way ahead on one leg and way behind on the other. Stay in the classroom that I've prepared for you. I want you to watch his life. I want you to watch how he leads. I want you to watch how his life ends. And I want you to do the opposite. Do not shortcut your process. I think about things in my life that I said, man, I can get ahead if I just tell this one lie. If I just falsify this one thing, if I just act this certain way, if I just sell myself on this, if I just tune God out, dial myself up, I've got enough experience in this that I can wield this to my advantage. And God is saying, stay in the classroom. So listen, if this is you today, I just want you to to just be still for a second. Check your hesitancy. And understand that God may use your enemy to reveal in you what not to do when he gives you what they have. So do not shortcut your sanctification. Don't shortcut what it becomes to be more like Christ. Don't shortcut the renewing of your mind. You need Saul. He's here to teach you. You do not get a table in the presence of your enemies if you have killed them all. None of us want to tell the story of how we have shortcutted our lives, right? No one wants to tell this. I mean, David did not want to go home and his children jump into his lap and them say, Daddy, tell us about the time you snuck up on Papa while he was on the toilet and killed him. <laughs> Nobody wants to tell that story, right? Come on, somebody say amen. Okay. This is how shortcuts play out. They create a narrative in our life that nobody wants to talk about, and we will steer around them our entire lives. So David hears this, checks the hesitancy, and in that he decides to keep Saul in his life. But he gets close to him. And under this tension, he reaches out, he grabs his robe, And he cuts off a piece of his robe and not his neck. And he became what I hope all of us, including myself, can become in moments like this. He became led by the Spirit. And this discernment changed his life. In 1 Samuel 24 and verse 6, He comes back and he says, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. And I love this because David's men basically say, then we'll do it. Okay? I'm tired of being in this cave. I'm tired of smelling these men. I'm tired of being away from home. I'm ready to see my kids sleep in my own bed, eat my wife's cooking. I am ready to get home. Hand me the knife. I'm not bothered by this one bit. I will walk up there and snap. Everybody needs a friend just like that, don't they? 
First time I heard Marcus preach, he said that there are two kinds of friends. There is a friend that'll help you move and a friend that'll help you move a body. These are the moving body kind of people. But David re rebukes them, and in verse 7, he says, With these words, David rebuked him and said, Do not, and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So here comes the big question to this message, okay? I've talked 20 minutes to just ask this. Here it is How close are you? How close are you? to kicking a door down in your life? How close are you to snatching the life out of an enemy? How close are you to ending a relationship? How close are you to walking out of a church? How close are you to folding up your faith and putting it in the deepest places of your heart? How close are you? Are you right now crawling across the floor of a cave of your own circumstance and doing? Are you considering a shortcut? Are you considering taking advantage of something? Are you considering doing something and calling it God? If you said yes to any of that, I want you to do something with me. I want you to hit pause. I want you to stop selling yourself and just listen for a minute. I want you to let that hesitancy that you've been carrying for the weekend or the week or the month or since January, I want you to let it get louder in you because that hesitancy is God's way of telling you, I love you. What hesitancy do you have there? This story goes on to say that after Saul leaves this cave, he hears a voice yelling, Saul! And 3,000 men in the valley below turn around and in the mouth of the cave stands David, a cave that Saul just left. And David does something so bizarre, so mature, so earth-shattering of someone who is under the current pressure he's in. He bows to the ground and he holds up that piece of robe. And in that moment, I think that valley became very still. And every single one of those 3,000 men knew one thing, that David was the better man. He killed Saul that day with humility. And something incredible happens here so against our, our humanity. Saul doesn't say, now we got you. Now you've revealed yourself. You 3,000 men circle up to the mouth of that cave and don't stop till it's just us. No. You know what he does? He goes home. He says, not today, guys. Let's go home. Pack it up. If we will let the Lord lead us, be sensitive to it, check that hesitancy, we will see the things in our lives that are the pressure, the discomfort, all of those things 
you don't even have to put your hand on them. They'll just walk off. They will exit your life because of your obedience. Without a drop of sweat, without blood, without a sword pulled, without a, con a conversation, without your leadership prowess, all of it. You just be still, know he's God, and you'll see that stuff walk off. When we check that hesitancy, when we let his voice be the loudest voice. Amen. When I was watching that sermon, there was a, a few things that stood out to me. One, that the whole concept of the Saul, that's a big part of my testimony. The Saul is not always a person. Sometimes it's a season. It's a situation. It's a circumstance. Uh, for me, it, it was a person. It was a leader. It was a long time ago before I moved to Arkansas. But it was one of the more fundamental, foundational elements that I had to learn to be used by God. And, and being under difficult leadership where it, it isn't a matter of opinion if they're wrong, they're wrong. So I learned a lot in that. It's like, just because they're wrong doesn't give me the right to bring justice. And I had to learn to trust God. Trusting God with your soul, whatever that may be, is one of the highest forms of truly surrendering. Because there probably will be people around you saying, this ain't right. This ain't, this ain't right. You deserve to be happy. You know? Like the, they'll be friends. They'll mean well. They'll even be believers. The problem is you can be so right you're wrong sometimes. And what you don't want to do is step outside of God's timing, God's plan. But one of the things, and, and Kevin mentioned this, one of the most important things of walking through seasons of assault is recognizing that more than likely God is using that Saul to weed out your potential of being a Saul. And, and the fact is, even going through that season, even dealing with a Saul, I'm, I'm just telling you, I've been a Saul to people. I've been a Saul, a Saul to people I've led. I've been a Saul to people on my staff. I've been a Saul to my kids, I'm sure. I've been a Saul. And, and I've had to repent. I've had to apologize many, many times. And so the first thing is I would say, there might be some people that you need to apologize to. One of the ways that you can weed the Saul out of you is be humble and admit that you've been a Saul to somebody because Saul would have never have done that. That'll help you weed that out. Uh, but it's also, you need to forgive. You need to forgive the Saul. As long as you can't, he's got 
that person, that season, that event, that whatever, you're allowing it to have authority over you. It will continue to drive you, your, th- your thoughts, your emotions. You can't be who God's created you to be as long as that's there. So that was one thought. Another thought is this. Because of the culture that we live in, because of how driven it is by acceptance. I would even say the fear of man is a major part of this, like carrying so much about what people think. The social media era has perpetuated that big time. That there are a lot of people that will mean well, truly care about you, love you, will have all kinds of advice, but that doesn't mean they're hearing the Holy Spirit for you. You have to hear the Holy Spirit for you. You have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so another thing I would say is, I don't know what your church background is. I don't know what your idea and concept is of what it means to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, a lot of that's been misunderstood. It's been abused. It's, it's, but I'm just telling you, when you become a Christ follower, you receive portion of his spirit that, that helps you, that brings conviction, that, that leads you and guides you. But when you engage in relationship with the Holy Spirit and you seek him and, and you desire him and you want more of that relationship, There's more that he has to give you, that he wants to give you. The gifts of the Spirit are a part of that. And I would say this, we need more of who he is. We need more, I don't care how long you've been following the Lord, I don't care how much of the word you know. If you don't have him in your life, crawling with you through the caves, you're gonna be in trouble. Because there's so many influences out there that'll tell you, do it, go, follow your heart, follow your feelings. You deserve to be happy. But you want what's God, not what you want, not what they say you need. You want what is from God. And if we can all agree on this, we definitely need more of who he is and we need less of who we are. His spirit helps us get in alignment with his will. And so it may be that that's something you need to seek the Lord about. Here in a little bit, we're gonna have our prayer team up here. Maybe it's like, man, I I don't know what all that means, but I know I need more of God. I need more of him. I know I need to hear his voice more clearly. I know I need to be empowered by him to accomplish everything that he's put before me. I want more of him and have somebody pray for you. In regards to the Holy Spirit, maybe even his gifts, I'm just telling you, I wouldn't be in ministry today without my relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's too many cave floors that I've crawled on that if I would have gotten my way and my time and my sense of justice, I would have blown the whole deal. And I'd also say this, Some of you, you already kicked the door in. 
You already stepped out of step with the Holy Spirit. You already went after the opportunity. And it may be that you already see the consequence of it. It may be that you don't see the consequence, but you feel the conviction. And I will say this, you may not be able to change the circumstance and the situation that you're now in because you got ahead of what God wanted for your life. But if you can stop and turn, it's, that's the word repent. If you can stop and turn and humble yourself, there is nothing that God can't redeem. There is nothing that God can't reconcile. There is nothing that he can't heal. There is nothing that he can't forgive. If you're willing, he's willing. He wants to. So don't lose hope, but you're going to have to stop. You're going to have to turn. You're going to have to humble yourself and repent. He'll meet you. I promise. And then some of you, you don't have any relationship with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> So you just fly by the seat of your pants. You're very easily led by just your own knowledge, your own understanding, the advice of the world around you. you. You literally live your life like it's a post on Facebook asking for advice. You can't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit without a relationship with who the Spirit belongs to. It's Jesus. Jesus gave us his spirit. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you have to start there. You have to start there. It's because of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, that we have access to his spirit, to the Holy Spirit. And so there might be some of you, man, you've been around church forever. Like you know all the church things to say. You, 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 even, you even know how to look like you know how to worship God. It may be all the religious things, but in your heart, you know without a doubt that you are away from him. You've never had a genuine and personal relationship with God. Today can be the day of your salvation. If you're willing, he's been waiting. He wants a relationship with you. But it takes this, it takes you recognizing, uh, I don't have it. I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from a holy God. He had a plan. He sent his son, his son paid the price for me, for my sin, for my sin. And then he defeated death, he defeated sin when he rose from the grave. So that sin doesn't have to have a hold on you. Not that it won't be there, but it doesn't have to have a hold on you. And death has no authority over you. Death for a believer does not exist. And it gives you a lot of freedom and boldness and courage to live the life that he has for you. But the way that you live that life, it's in surrender to him. It's in surrender to him. It's my life is not my own. It belongs to him. I take up my cross daily and I follow him. And if you've never done that, you know it. You know it in your gut. The Holy Spirit's already been speaking to you. You have to respond. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads.
you're in that place. You know that. It may be that you've, you felt pretty confident that at one point or another, like, man, I, I said this prayer. I, I felt like it was real. But you're in a place right now where you don't have any of that peace. You don't have any of that hope, any of that joy. So let's just, let's just say that maybe you need to come back to him. Let's just say maybe you need to rededicate your life to him. Either way, you know you need him and you're away from him. And if you're in that place, I wanna pray for you. So if you're here, you know you need to surrender your life to him because you're away from him. Or maybe you need to come back to him. I'm gonna ask you just to confess it. And I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough to say, that's me. And I want you to put your hand up right now, across this room. As soon as I see your hand, we make eye contact and put your hand down. Got it, man, thank you. Yes, thank you. I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm away from him. Anyone else? I know that's me. Thank you, got you, bro. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay. I want us all just to repeat this prayer. There's a handful of people that are making this decision. I want them to be able to pray this out loud. So if you'll just repeat after me, say, Jesus. Can we say it with a little more confidence? Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you rose from the grave. You defeated sin. You defeated death. My life belongs to you. I surrender to you as my Lord. I stop, I turn away from my plan, away from what I wanna do, and I turn towards you. Lead me by your spirit. Lead me by your word. Help me to be connected to the body of Christ. Father God, I thank you for every person that just prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time. Lord, I thank you so much for how you lead us and how you guide us. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would begin to move in a way that is undeniably you. And I pray that you would just draw people's hearts to have a desire for more of who you are. We're gonna stay in step with how you wanna do it, how you wanna move. But we confess that we need you. We need you, we need you to understand the hesitancy that you put so that we can stay in the center of your will. We need that, Lord. Thank you for the grace and thank you for the forgiveness that we have when we get out of step, when we miss it. Thank you that we can get right back in it. In Jesus' name, amen.